1: Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast where I share practical, simple, and scientific ways to help you take back control of your mental health, improve your mood and memory, reduce anxiety and worry, and help you live your happiest and healthiest life. In today's episode, I have the honor of interviewing Michael Hyatt on how having a vision can not only help scale your business and make you a successful leader, but also on how a strategic vision can dramatically reduce stress, anxiety, and worry. Michael also shares some great tips on how to define and execute the vision and how to make your workplace more mental health friendly. Lastly, Michael shares some advice on how to talk to your boss if you're struggling with mental health, and he shares how he manages his mental health while running a successful company, writing best-selling books, and playing the role of husband, father, and grandfather. This episode is not just for workplace leaders, but great for entrepreneurs, parents, teachers, and everyone. Michael Hyatt is the Chief Executive Officer and founder of Michael Hyatt & Company. He has scaled multiple companies over the years, including a $250 million publishing company with 700 plus employees. He is also the author of several New York Times, Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling books, including Platform, Living Forward, Your Best Year Ever, Free to Focus and his newest book, The Vision Driven Leader. Thank you once again for tuning in. If you like my podcast and enjoy today's episode, please consider leaving a five-star review and subscribing. And don't forget to keep sharing on social media and tagging me so I can see what you guys think and what you have found most helpful or interesting. Michael, I'm so excited to have you in the studio today and so excited to interview you about your business background and leadership and vision. And it's, it's wonderful having you here. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Carolina. I'm delighted to be on with you.
1: It's wonderful. Okay, Michael, before we start, just tell us a little bit about your business background and how you've become a leadership mentor to thousands, and then also your latest book, The Vision-Driven Leader.
0: You know, I spent most of my life in the world of book publishing I got my big break, as it were, in the year 2000, when I became the publisher of Nelson Books, one of Thomas Nelson Publishers' 14 divisions. And in that role, I discovered that that division was dead last in every significant metric. It had the lowest revenue growth. It was the least profitable. And the CEO asked me how long it was going to take to turn that division around. And I told him initially I thought it would take three years, and I was kind of just guessing. But one of the things I went off and did was I created this written vision document, something I I call in my new book, a vision script, to turn that division around. And I learned firsthand the impact that vision had on my confidence as, as a leader, the alignment of my team, and the speed with which we were able to generate exponential results. We were able to turn that division around in a year and a half. And as a result of that, over a period of time, I became the chairman and the CEO of Thomas Nelson. In 2005, used a more comprehensive written vision document to guide us through the Great Recession and emerge stronger than ever. We sold the company to HarperCollins in 2011. At that time, I stepped down to start my own leadership development firm, which I've been new- doing now since that time. And I started off, like a lot of people start, as a solopreneur. Today, we have 40 full time employees, and on average, we've grown more than 50% a year. And again, I want to point it back to this whole idea of vision. It's been critical in my career. It's critical in the in the coaching practice that I have with business leaders today.
1: That's such a great and inspiring story. And it's it's so true. If you don't have vision, where are you? But I love the fact that you've made it so specific. And you know, I love your idea of the vision script. And I've listened quite a bit to your talks and things like that. And it's, it's just, it's fantastic. So I'm very excited to dive into this. Now, you're a very successful businessman. You're an author, you're a father, and you're a leader. So you're doing a lot. How do you manage the stress and anxiety and just keep your mental health tip-top in that kind of environment and all the, with all the demands in your life.
0: Well, first of all, that's a great question because I find that people, there's just more anxiety than ever before. People mm. are overwhelmed. Almost every leader I talk with feels like they're just tremendously overwhelmed. They're on the mm. edge of burnout. They're really struggling to try to juggle everything that's that's on their plate. And of course, there's so many distractions that compete for our time. So it's very hard to be focused and and really give ourselves to the few things that matter. The great thing about a vision, and whether it's your business or your entire life, and so the new book, The Vision Driven Leader, is really about mm. creating vision for your business. But my previous book, Living Forward, was really about creating vision for your entire life, something I mm. creating a life plan for the first time about 20 years ago. But the thing about a vision is it helps you get clear on what, where it is you're going and what's important. It kind of establishes the priorities. Without a vision, you don't have a filter to differentiate between what's important and what's merely a distraction. And one of the things that I've, I've noticed with leaders is that the more successful they are, the more, more opportunities they encounter. And those opportunities are mm. great. And, you know, there's probably a point for all of us where we would kill for the, those opportunities, mm. but now they're overwhelming. And oftentimes distractions masquerade as opportunities. And without a clear vision script, there's no way to discern the difference. So we end up very busy doing a lot of stuff that in the end doesn't matter because it doesn't really contribute to our vision. So I think having a clear vision, a clear destination enables you to have a kind of focus that reduces anxiety and enables you to move forward knowing that you've got the most important stuff covered.
1: I love that answer. And you've obviously applied that in your life as well, as in your family life as well, as not just in the business environment, having that clear vision.
0: Yes, absolutely. You know, I have five daughters. They're all grown now. I've wow. got nine grandkids. I've been married for 42 years. And That's amazing. I, I, well, I, you know, and I haven't, I haven't done it all right. I've made my share of mistakes. But I tell you, having a clear vision really helps. It helps when you when you hit turbulence. I mean, in, in your life, mm. even if you have a clear vision, it's not a guarantee that you're not going to encounter challenges and problems and you know all the kinds of troubles that people mm. ordinarily encounter. But the thing that it does is it gives you a reason to press on when you want to quit. And I think that inevitably- Oh, I love
1: that. Michael, I have to interrupt you there. That's so good. Say it again.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you're going to encounter problems and challenges in your life. But the thing a vision does It gives you the motivation when you want to quit because Mm. once you get clarity on the destination, there's this little thing called the resistance that shows up. Stephen Pressfield has written extensively about this in his book, The War of Art. And anytime you try try to make an improvement, I don't care if it's trying to lose weight, improve your marriage, grow your business, whenever you get clarity about what it is that you want, you're going to encounter the resistance, particularly when you get to what I call the messy middle. When you're too far invested to quit, but you're not sure you've got the resources to finish, having that vision gives you this kind of overarching why of why you need to be tenacious, why you need to persist, why you need to keep going when you want to quit. I don't care if it's running a half marathon or if it's trying to get through a rough patch in your marriage or trying to see your business through a difficult time. Having that vision can give you what you need to finish when you want to quit.
1: Oh, that's so good. That's very, very important. And I love how you explain the fact that there's so many opportunities now in the modern this modern era that sometimes we get confused between the opportunities, sometimes they're actually a distraction and not an opportunity. That's fascinating that you explain it like that. So people think that they're actually pursuing an opportunity, but is it really an opportunity?
0: Well, true, and, and these can actually be your undoing. In mm. fact, I would say that opportunities are unrelated to the vision can be a huge threat to your business. And I tell the story in the book about when I started a publishing company back in 1986 with a very good friend of mine, my business partner. And we experienced some enormous success right out of the gate. You know, we had a New York Times bestseller. Everything seemed easy. We were signing authors left and right. And unfortunately, because of that, a lot of opportunities came flying at us. So we started publishing children's books, then gift books, then reference books. We even did a big, giant Bible project. (laughs) That was our undoing. Because we didn't have a clear vision, everything was a yes. We didn't have any framework for saying no. And so that became our undoing. We started to fragment our focus, split our attention, divide our resources, and that business in 1992 went bust. Not because we had a lack of opportunity, but because we had too many opportunities without a clear vision. And it's one of the reasons why I became so convinced that I needed to write this book, because I saw a lot of businesses go through that same cycle of initial expansion and growth. And then they're eventually, they're, they're undoing because they didn't have a vision that helped them discern the difference between an opportunity and a distraction.
1: A vision helps you discern between an opportunity and a distraction. That is incredible because in this day and age, there are so many opportunities to see another opportunity. So that's really, that's amazing. So the vision script, and we're going to talk about that. Well, Matt, do you want to dive into that now? I mean, it's, it sounds like that's a really good mental health tool. <laughs> just having an understanding of this concept sure. of the vision
0: script. Yeah. Well, let me just, let me just say a little bit about what it's not because I think that, that sometimes. Leaders, when they think about creating a vision, I mean, ever, all of us know that we need to have a vision for our business, mm-hmm. but it seems so daunting. You know, it's, it's like, well, I'm, I'm not that charismatic or, you know, mm. I almost to be clairvoyant or it's some kind of mystical process. And, you know, maybe I need to go out and pray and, uh, you know, this thing's going to come down from heaven and then I can mm-hmm. go back and, and share it with the team. And as a result of that, I think a lot of leaders bail out of the process before they start. They just go, you know, I'm not that smart. I'm not that clever. I'm certainly not clairvoyant. There's no way I'm going to come up with what a vision is for for my team. Well, it's not that hard. You just got to make the space for it. I think one of the first things we have to get over is that this isn't going to be what's sometimes called a vision statement. You know, some short, Mm. clever, pithy thing that you could put on a coffee mug or put on a t-shirt. No, it's going to be more robust than that. This is going to be a document that I call a vision script that is basically going to be a three to five page document that looks at the state of your business, a future state of your business, three to five years out, that it's going to describe a superior state, one that's better than the present. You're going to write it in the present tense and it is going to be written. So it's it's critically important, important to write this down, Caroline, because mm. there's something about writing that breeds clarity. Thoughts disentangle themselves, passing over the lips and through pencil tips. I'm not sure who said that, but it's true. There's something... Writing. I love
1: that. Yeah, I love what you just said, that quote. And you know what, Michael, you are speaking to my audience that know that I push writing and I teach all the brain science behind it. And it really does. I mean, you've described it, it disentangles your thoughts. And it really does. It changes the way that the structures of the brain function, how the energy flows, because your mind uses your brain. Your, your brain is just responding to your mind. So when you write things down, you are creating a very healthy brain environment and releasing a flow of energy that enables you to get more wisdom. You literally operate. At a higher level,
0: I love that. Well, and it's the first stop in the creation, first step in the creation process. I don't care if you're writing a book or if you're, you know, building a house or whatever it is. You got to see it first, and mm-hmm. then you gotta write it down or commit it to something that you can transmit to others. But that very process of writing forces clarity, and and as, as you know, there's there's a part of that that actually begins to rewire your brain. And so, mm-hmm. one of the things that we we say to people is that you need to write it in the present tense. Now, the reason for this, why this is important from my perspective, and you can inform me with the brain science behind this, but my understanding is that your brain can't actually differentiate between something vividly imagined and something actually experienced. So for example, in the world of athletics, in professional sports, the mental rehearsal before a game is as important as the rehearsal on the field. So I tell the story about Michael Phelps, who was an Olympic Mm -hmm. and a reporter asked him after a race, he said, hey, I noticed before you went off the blocks, before you started the race, that you looked like you were staring into space. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm just to have to assume that you were rehearsing the finish. And he said, no. He said, I was actually rehearsing every single stroke. And he said, that's a discipline that I do every day. I see myself performing. Not only do I practice swimming, but I do the mental rehearsal. And so I, I think that writing the script in the present tense begins that process of seeing it become a reality.
1: Mm, that's so, well, the brain science behind that totally backs it up. And that's something that that I'm so glad you're saying these things because my listeners are hearing a lot of the brain science behind this. And I love how you've applied it to business. And it's true. When you vo- visualize something, you activate parts of your brain called the mirror neurons, and you start building up all these networks in your brain. And you actually kind of, it's a, you activate and develop what I call an unconscious mind, which is the biggest part of you. So when that's activated and working, it's the driving force behind you moving forward. So you, yeah, that's, there's a little bit of brain science for you. So I, I love what you're saying. <laughs> I'm having, I'm having fun matching the brain science to your statements.
0: Excellent. Well, so this vision script, one of the things I, I didn't say, but it's important to build it around four components. So we're not just talking about, you know, looking at a blank sheet of paper, which is frightening to a lot of people. It's fl- frightening, mm. especially to people that don't write for a living. But honestly, as somebody who's written nine books now, it's scary to me too. So, one of the things mm-hmm. that I've done in the book is I put a series of prompts to help walk people through this process. But I want you to envision the future, a superior future, step into the future, you know, three to five years, describe what you see in terms of four areas. First of all, the future of your team. You know, if your dream doesn't require a team, your dream isn't big enough. I want to say mm. that again. I think it's really important. Mm. If your dream doesn't require a team, I don't think your dream's big enough. Now, all of us start out in business, as typically, as a solopreneur. But eventually, we realize that if we're going to accomplish this vision we have, it's going to require a team. Your team is the first and most important component of your vision. They're the ones that are going to help you bring this vision into reality. So the kind of people that you acquire or bring to your company – the, the culture that you're creating inside of your company, all that's critically important. The culture is so important because culture, largely unseen by a lot of leaders, is kind of the unseen force that drives operating results. A lot of leaders don't realize this, but a mm. culture can make you or, or break you. So you have to be able to envision it. So the future of your team. Then the future of your products. What are the products that you envision producing? And more importantly, what is the transformation they create? Nobody ever bought a product because they wanted that widget. It's not, it's not the car, for example, that you buy. It's the transformation that you hope to get. Maybe it's the status. Maybe it's how you feel about it, a feeling you have, but it's some transformation that you get by means of that product. So what is that? Describe that in your vision script. Then the future of your marketing. How are you going to reach your audience? And then finally, the future of your impact. What do you see financially? What do you see in terms of the reach, the size of your audience, the number of customers, all of that, anything that you could objectify, put it in the future of your impact. So those four components comprise the vision script.
1: Oh, it's brilliant. I love it. And it's so straightforward, so practical, but it's in depth. and, And you've really distinguished between the vision statement that everyone knows about a vision statement. You've actually taken this to a whole different level having a vision script and it's so clear those four points so people need to get this book we're going to put all the details in the in the show notes and I, this is a, a book i strongly recommend that everyone gets their hands on it's it's fantastic i'm very excited about this many of you asked me what multivitamin i take and why i take one well after doing extensive research to find the best one for my body i came across a ritual And I absolutely love it. Rituals Essentials have the nutrients most of us don't get enough of from our food, all in their clean, absorbable forms. No shady additives or ingredients that can do more harm to your body than good. 2 easy to take capsules provide nine nutrients that you need to support a strong foundation for your health. For me, transparency of ingredients and their sources were a deal breaker in what I wanted in a multivitamin so many vitamins out there have such questionable ingredients but ritual is traceable and transparent for obsessive label readers like me all of ritual's vegan friendly sugar-free non-gmo gluten-free and allergen-free ingredients and their sources are out there for the whole world to see with ritual i know what i'm getting and what i'm putting in my body no questions or concerns. Better health doesn't happen overnight. And right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com forward slash DrLeaf to start your ritual today. That's ten percent off during your first three months at ritual.com forward slash Dr Leaf. The link will be in the show notes. Tell us about the difference that having a clear vision makes in the effectiveness and success of a leader. Now you've touched on this, but if you can do a little go a little bit deeper.
0: Sure. You know, there was there's a big study that I quote in the book where it talks about what employees Look for in a leader. The number one thing that if you take the cross section of all people who are working in business, the number one thing they look for in a leader is integrity. That's not a big surprise. The number two thing they want is a leader that has a vision for the future. Because they know that without that, there could be so many, so much sideways energy in an organization, a lot of unproductive work. People are very busy, but they're kind of treading water. It's not really going anywhere. But when you're a leader and you have a clear vision, it gives not only confidence to you, because you gotta be know you gotta know where you're going, but it gives confidence to your team. For them to know that you know where you're going gives them confidence. It gives them purpose and meaning in their work. Now, I don't know about you, but I work with a ton of millennials. In fact, mm-hmm. my entire company, with the exception of one other person, they're all millennials. And millennials mm-hmm. are bad rap. You know people say well they don't have a, a you know a good work ethic or you know they seem to be entitled. I don't find that at all.
1: No, I agree with you. I don't I think it's I'm always defending millennials. So I agree with you. There.
0: I think they're just such an untapped resource but here's the thing. They want to work in an environment where they have a clear vision of where they're going. They want to know why mm. they're doing what they're doing. They want to have a sense of mission and as a leader it's your job to provide it. If you have clarity around the vision as a leader it's going to give you confidence. It's going to enable you to recruit people that share that vision. It's going to enable you to enroll people that you need to succeed. Maybe it's a bank from which you're trying to get a loan, or it's investors, or it's donors. doesn't really matter what it is. A clear vision brings all those resources to you. In fact, I would say this. Vision comes first, resources follow. And more mm. so often people go out trying to, to get the resources, whether it's recruiting people or trying to find the money or whatever it is, but there's something about a vision that attracts the resources. The vision's got to come first.
1: Mm. Vision first, resources second. Love it. People are doing it back to front, aren't they? They really are. Or well, they're mixing the two together without developing the vision. So there's a lot of mixing up of vision and need resources, vision need resources, and it becomes a mental health mess.
0: Yes, no doubt. I was talking to a pastor the other day, and he was complaining about his people just weren't giving to a capital program. They were trying to build a new church. And he was complaining that the people just weren't opening their you know, checkbooks and writing checks and giving. And I said, well, honestly, I don't think the problem is resources. I think the problem is either you don't have a clear vision or you haven't sold it. Because Mm. in my experience, the money will follow the vision. And so I think at least that's a good checkpoint to go back and say, okay, do I have a clear vision? Have I painted a clear description that's vivid so that people can see it, so that it's compelling? And have I taken the opportunity to give voice to it? This is another problem that a lot of leaders have, is that they don't articulate the vision. It's got to be clear, which means that it can't be ambiguous. It's got to be concrete. But more than that, it's got to be explicit, not implicit. People can't read your mind. I don't care if it's your wife, your husband, your best friend, your closest workers. They can't read your mind. You are the only source of a voice that the vision has. And so once you get the vision, it's not enough. This isn't just a once-and-done thing where you commit it to paper, put it on the shelf, and then watch it come to pass. We're not talking about some you know, model of execution. Mm. Remember that book, The Secret? Mm-hmm, I do. The law of attraction, if you, if you just conceive it, that you know the, the universe will conspire and it'll come to your doorstep. I, I don't believe that.
1: No, there's a lot more involved than just that. <laughs> a lot
0: more involved than that. I mean, it, it starts certainly by getting the clarity on the vision. But then you've got to do more than that. You've got to give voice to the vision. You've got to, you've got to remind people of the destination where we're going because people get lost in the daily activities. They get lost in the grind of execution. I remember during the, the, the great recession, it was, the year was about 2009 and I was really frustrated. I was the CEO of Thomas Nelson at that time mm. and we were experiencing a downturn in our business, like all the other publishers were and like lots of businesses mm-hmm. were all around the world. And I remember an executive coach said to me, I, I was complaining to her. I said, I am tired of talking about the vision. I'm tired of hearing myself talk about the vision. And she said to me, and this is so important, when you're tired of hearing yourself talk about the vision, you're half done.
1: Oh, I love that. When you're tired of hearing yourself talk about the vision, you half done. So, what's the other half coming? I, I can't wait to hear what you're about to say.
0: Well, I learned this from Andy Stanley. He mm. said, Vision leaks. And so, you can, you can be talking to people about vision, but then people get very busy in their daily tasks. They forget where we're going, they forget what the vision is. Your job as a leader is to continually remind them, and it's important mm. for reasons. Number one, if you don't have a clear vision, and if people aren't mindful of that vision, there's no way for them to align. You have to align around something, and alignment in an organization, where everybody's rowing in the same direction, has to be around a vision. If you're not clear about the destination, then people go off in all kinds of different directions. You end up with sideways energy and a lot of fake work. Once you have a vision, you can create the alignment. Once you have alignment, you can drive execution. And execution is kind of like the holy grail that all business leaders seek. They want to have more execution. But execution without a vision is just busy work. So mm. the, that's the foundation for the alignment and the execution. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, totally. So vision, alignment, execution. And if you're not, if you're executing without the vision, you're just doing busy work and it's sideways energy. And if you don't keep speaking, the vision just leaks and you're not going to keep a coherent whole. That's right. And that's what happens in the brain too. Your brain requires the mind to actually drive it and in a very organized and coherent way, Wants coherence. And and you're describing, you know, that playing out into how we apply that in the workplace. Honestly, I can't stress enough how well you've actually said, you know, it talks about the concept of execution. Execution without vision is busy work. And without the integration, it's an alignment. That's just brilliant. Well,
0: let me just kind of give you a practical example.
1: I'd love that. I was about to say, can you give us a nice practical example?
0: Yeah. The largest part of my business is my business coaching practice. We have a program called Business Accelerator. We have 500 business owners and entrepreneurs that are in that program. We've taught this concept to all of them. As a result of being in that program, this is what has a what this is the practical impact of a vision. Our average client in their first 12 months in the program, they will grow their business by 62%. That's, that's on average.
1: More, that's crazy.
0: Some less, but on average. But this is what's really important, Caroline, is that they shave 11 hours off their work week on average.
1: Because oh my gosh, all, that's fantastic.
0: I know that. So they're focused on the highest leverage tasks that fulfill the vision. And drive their growth. And they've got more free time than ever before. So the key to achieving more by doing less is a clear vision.
1: Oh, wow. Achieving more, doing less will come from a clear vision.
0: They'll sound counterintuitive though, don't they? You know, and and this, to talk about mental health, there are a lot of celebrity entrepreneurs that are driving, I think, a very dangerous idea that I call the hustle fallacy. And that is if you want to grow your business, if you want to scale it, if you want to have more impact, you got to hustle harder. And and we find people working 70 to 80 hours a week, not getting the rest they should, not taking care of their bodies, not getting proper nutrition. All of that has a consequence. That's why people are burning out and people are sacrificing their health, their most important relationships for the sake of their business. You know, in our company, we tell our employees, and we encourage our clients to do the same thing. We expect the norm is 40 hours a week. No more, less if you can do it. 40 hours a week. We're focused on results, not the amount of time that you're in the seat. We know for a fact, and I talked about this in my last book, Free to this, that after about 50 hours a week, your productivity actually begins to go backwards.
1: Yeah, it's an inverse relationship after that point.
0: So, you know, to... Wow. Good, to put hard boundaries, and I think this is also a you know a, a key to mental health, too, for people that are in very demanding professions, is to put hard boundaries around your work. So, for example, what that looks like for me is I start work at 9 o'clock in the morning. I finish at 6 p.m. every day. In the evenings, I don't think about work. I don't talk about work. I don't read about work. I don't do work because I need that time off so that my mind has a time to rest. And so I actually have hobbies. I don't work on the weekends. We encourage our clients to do the same thing. Last year, I personally took 162 days off, but my business grew over 65%.
1: That's crazy. You took 162 days off and your business grew over 62%. And that you say that's coming from having a clear vision.
0: It comes from having a clear vision. And the same is true for my, you know, my, my company. My people take a lot of time off. We have unlimited PTO, so unlimited pay time off. So they take it whenever they think they need it. We want people to come to work rejuvenated, ready to work and give us their best, most focused work.
1: Wow. This is revolutionary. I mean, there's certain things you're saying that I hear from people and people in business, but the concept of hurry sickness that you call that hustle factor, I call it hurry sickness, whatever, is what's driving people. People honestly think that the busier they are and the more, as you say, the more you harder you work, that's how you're going to get there. But you're actually saying the opposite. And that goes so much in alignment with just how the mind and brain work. Your your brain can't keep going. Your mind's always going. So you have to actually force your mind to rest. And that's what you're describing in this. I mean, that's phenomenal. You took 162 days off and you had a 62% growth in your company.
0: Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And I you know, I I kind of see myself as sort of the lab rat. If it doesn't work for me, it's Mm -hmm. not for anybody else. And then I see kind of the other lab is my coaching clients. I want it to work for them. I want to not only get the results for myself, but I want to get it for them. And I don't want to export what's not working in my company, in my life, and in the lives of my clients. But this is something, honestly, that makes all the difference. Having a vision, having clarity about where you're going solves so many other problems. It enables you to say yes to the things you need to say yes to, but more importantly, it gives you the means by which you can say no to all the things that clamor for our attention. And I don't know about you, but I I have to confess, I'm I'm a recovering people pleaser. And so mm. it's hard for me to say no. I had to say no yesterday to a really important request, but the only way I was able to do it was because of this vision. If mm. contribute to the vision, then it's a no. And, and certainly, once you get a vision, it doesn't mean you can't revisit it. Certainly, you're going to revise it from time to time. But having that clarity just really gives you a track to run on in the present.
1: Oh, that's incredible. It's just such simple wisdom. You know, it's really basic practical things that you're saying that are very realistic and kind of, I get a sense of peace, you know, I think, wow, like almost a a sense of relief that you don't have to keep working these hours, you know, that you can, I think this is going to help so many people. Well, you're already already helping so many people. (laughs) So your vision is guiding your day-to-day decisions as well. So from the big picture vision, the five-year plan, do you break that down into a day-to-day decision and strategy?
0: Yes, absolutely. So this, this is critical. And, and one of the things I might just talk about for just a minute.
1: Please, go ahead.
0: How do you get to this vision script and then what you do with it in terms of... Please writing. do. So, you know, what, I, what we recommend, what I recommend is that people schedule a time on the calendar to actually do this deep work, to walk through the process of creating the vision. So read the book, obviously, The Vision-Driven Leader. And then mm-hmm. schedule a day. You know, my, in my experience, what gets on the calendar is what gets done. So schedule a day. Don't worry about what you're gonna do when you get there, because I'm gonna walk through all that in the book. But go away, walk through the prompts in the book. And I've actually got a tool that I'll tell you more about in a minute called the Vision Scriptor tool, which will walk you through, take you by the hand and walk you through the process. Once you come up with what I would call a rough draft of that script, you're gonna go back to your kind of your inner circle back at the office. So you're not Moses coming down from Mount Sinai, mm-hmm. you know, with the Ten Commandments. This is a rough draft. And mm-hmm. you're gonna your team something like this look, I've been thinking a lot about the future. And I've written down some things that I think can really guide us towards creating a bigger, better future that's going to be compelling for all of us. But I need your help to get it right. There's probably things I've missed. There's things that need to be tweaked. But I need your input so that it's right. And so then open up a conversation. So start at the highest level, not everybody in your company, but your inner circle, and begin to have this conversation. It may take you Several weeks, it may take you a few days, but have a conversation about the vision. Fine-tune it, get it better. Then roll it out to the next group, and then the next group, and the next group till you can finally roll it out to the entire company. So that's kind of the process, and I go through this in in detail in the book. Mm. The vision script can be the very first and most important thing you do in a formal strategic planning process. So we go through a strategic planning process at my company once a year. I did this when I was at Thomas Nelson. I did it at my companies before that. But sometimes, early in my career, this was the missing piece. We always start with the vision. Then that has to get distilled into what is the annual plan. So in other words, if this is our vision, three to five years in the future, and by the way, we typically recommend for most of our clients that they start with three years, Mm -hmm. because that is probably guessing as fast as everything is changing, less than that, it's probably not strategic. So let's just say three years.
1: Okay. I like three years.
0: Mm -hmm. Got it too. And so, so distill that down into if three years is the vision, what are the goals for this year that are going to get us on track to realize that vision in three years? Mm. Then once you get the annual goals, and by the way, I talk about this in my book, your best year ever, but I talk about seven to 10 goals, no more for the year. And then boil that down to two to three goals for the quarter. And then each week, you're looking at your quarterly goals, and you're establishing your weekly priorities. And I encourage people to focus on the big three, the weekly big three, three priorities that will really drive the results forward if they get those accomplished. So there's probably a gazillion things you have to do this week, but not every task is created equal. If you had to focus on the three that are the most important, and you got nothing else done, what are the three most important? And then get this, then the daily big three. So this is the process I go through every morning. I
1: love that. You explain it again.
0: Yeah, so so the vision script for three years, you're gonna have seven to ten goals for the year,
1: mm-hmm.
0: three goals for the quarter, mm-hmm. three priorities for the week, and then three big tasks for today. Now love it. So we've surveyed our audience, we find that the average person who uses a task list, and that's almost everybody. They have 15 tasks. Okay, so I don't know what you're. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> That's
0: funny. As 15. Now here's the interesting thing: when you have 15 tasks, you wake up in the morning feeling overwhelmed because you know you're not going to get those 15 things done today, right? So even if you get eight of them done, there's still seven left undone. So you your your head hits the pillow at night, and you feel defeated because you didn't get through your task list. Mm. Well, the Pareto principle says that 20% of the mm-hmm. drives 80% of the results. 20% of 15 is three. There's probably only three of those 15 tasks that really drive the important results. So why not on the front end, just identify those top three? What are the three biggest tasks that I get done? If I don't get the other ones done, that's fine. I'm going to declare victory if I get these three done. Do
1: you realize that that's an incredibly strong mental health tool that you've just described? for a leader and for an employee and for a person in general. Just what you've described. That's a really good mental health tool.
0: I think it is too, because I want people to leave the office feeling a sense of accomplishment, feeling a sense of satisfaction, feeling like they they didn't get everything done, but they got the most important things done. Therefore, they can close the book on work, go home and give themselves, be fully present to their families do appropriate level of self self-care and not have to think about work till the next morning. But that's why that's, people um, uncouple themselves from work. Why there's if, if, if they don't, Create these boundaries about work and use constraints like what I'm talking about. Mm. Work is never ending. They're thinking about it all the time. And that's not good for mental health.
1: No, that's exhausting and it drains you. And eventually it will wear you down. It definitely will. Because it's just, you know, a lot of people, just on that note, a lot of people will talk about the fact that their work is their passion and it's their interest. And I mean, I get that because I love brain research. So for me to relax and read a study is not something that's difficult for me to do. I apply that in my work too, so it bleeds. Uh, that very often will bleed over into the evening. I know that that works with me, but how would you advise someone? Would you say that that one should actually pull out completely, even if it's something that you're very interested in? Because this is a discussion I've had with quite a few people. I'd love your input on that. Does that make sense? Have I asked that clearly enough?
0: Totally. I, I mean, I, I remember talking about this for the first time to one of my closest friends, and and I said, "Buddy," I said, "You need some hobbies." And he said, "My work is my hobby. I love it." And I said, "But here's the thing." If you engage in a bona fide hobby, it gives your mind, or at least that part of your mind, an opportunity to rest. And to develop other skills, to develop other interests, first of all, it's going to make you more interesting as a person. Second of all, it's going to make your life richer and fuller and give you opportunities to learn things that that are not being activated in your brain by your your profession. So so let me give you an example. So I I Mm. love fly fishing. When I'm out fly fishing, it gives me an opportunity to take my mind off work and to focus on something that's completely unrelated to my work. I come back rejuvenated. It's easier for me to focus. It's easier for me to be more productive. Another hobby that I developed over the last few years is I play the Native American flute. So again, it gets, it's a mm. conversation starter. It gives me an opportunity to create in a way that I don't create at work because I'm creating music. It gives me an opportunity to develop myself intellectually in a way that I don't get to do at work. So, and I talk about this in Free to Focus, sort of the case for developing hobbies. But I think hobbies are so important and make us just more interesting, more developed, more whole people. So I think you mm-hmm. That's
1: helpful. I love that. I love that. And I think that's just, it, people almost need to be given permission to do that, don't they? It's almost like people are so driven to work, but then also to, like like you we were talking about, your, your work is your passion. There's a lot of people in that position, but this hobby thing kind of breaks that. And there's so much brain science behind that too. There's so much description of when you challenge your brain with something completely different, it goes to another level. And you've got to make that decision with your mind to do that anyway. So then you, you know, you're giving your mind a very, another direction to think about, which also re- relaxes your mind and develops your mind. So that's very, very important. I love that. So it's just really, it's the discipline of choosing to actually switch off at the end of the day and do something that's unrelated to your work.
0: You know, there's, there's such huge value in just play. And there's been a lot of research around this on the value of play for adults. Mm. We kind of give up and we think, you know, we don't have permission to play any longer. But when we give ourselves permission to play, it's so rejuvenating, both physically and mentally.
1: Mm, I love that giving yourself permission to play giving yourself permission to enjoy life again because I think so many people you know I've I've just done a set of clinical trials I do research and I found that interestingly enough the the millennials I did all different age groups but there was such a, a lot of drive amongst all age groups this busyness factor this hustle factor this people like feeling swamped and all the things that we just know. You've given a practical side of sort of the mind, mental side of what I do. We see a change in how people's brains function. So when you change your mind, you're changing your brain. And that hobby, a couple of people actually spoke, in, if I think of it in my clinical trial, about introducing hobbies into their life. And it definitely changed how they were thinking about things. It, gave, it seemed to give that mind rest. So It's very interesting that you talk about that. But just giving yourself permission to play to rest, to switch off—that seems to be a very important part of the mental health toolbox that you've developed in your business and for your own life. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. Because you know, nobody gets to the end of their life and looks back and with regret and says, "I wish I would have worked more." You know, the thing they don't.
1: That people
0: mm. regret is not cultivating important relationships, not pursuing hobbies and the things that they just have passion and love around. And to rediscover that and make time for that, you know, we've we've got to have a practical way to constrain our work so that it's not total work, so that we're not working 70 to 80 hours a week. And I, and I think that one of the things that happens to us is we kind of deceive ourselves. We think sometimes, well, this is just a temporary situation. You know, once I get this this business launched, once I get that graduate degree, once I get this book written, once I get the product launched, once we get through, you know, this new baby- then we'll have more time to do the things that we know are important. But the problem is we deceive ourselves because those are never ending. They sort of get stacked one after another. You know, it's one thing or another. And I think we have to, to to come into our current situation to the extent that we can and say, you know what, I'm going to put some parameters, some boundaries around work so that I can live my best life now. You know, the old model was if you work really hard and really crazy, then someday You'll be able to retire. Then you can do what you want. Well, the problem with that is when people retire, that's not even, that,
1: that's not healthy either. <laughs> no, it's terrible. Yeah, the average person dies five years after they retire. Exactly. It's one of the worst things that you can do is to retire. We should not be living for retirement. We should be living for each day.
0: That's right. And I think I think to mix work and play and to and to give yourself sort of that rhythm, that cadence where you've got adequate work, but not too much and play, but not too much, and merge those together, you know, is is the key to a rich and rewarding life. But again, it goes back to vision, to be able to envision a different kind of life, a different way of being.
1: That vision, almost. If I hear you, what you're saying, Michael, it's is it that that the vision is helping to create that cadence between the work and the play in such a way that you're almost giving person a person control. You you're removing a level of uncertainty, but there is still uncertainty because no one knows how the future is going to play out. But you, almost defining a, a boundary, and then from there you've got a little bit more freedom to move within that boundary. But it's not just this open ended thing.
0: That's right. And and I think as a leader. It's not only something you have to have a vision for in terms of yourself, but for your company and a lot of a lot of leaders are reticent to do this. you know they think, well, if part of my vision is to create a culture or a work environment where people are not working more than forty hours a week, i'm not sure I want that you know i I, I kind of would like people to be working sixty or seventy hours a week mm. well here's the thing they're not going to be coming to work with their best self with their greatest focused. With maximum productivity, unless you limit the number of hours they work and give them time for rejuvenation, and and so in our vision script for our company, one of the things that we're very clear about is that we want people. And sometimes there's emergencies or, you know, things that would require more hours. But for the bulk, bulk of the time, we want them working no more than forty hours a week. We want to give them unlimited paid time off, which I know sounds crazy. And frankly, mm. at the time I thought about doing this with my company, I thought, oh my gosh. People are gonna take advantage of this. You know, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna never work because they can take as much time mm. off as they want. I'm gonna tell you something, this is crazy. We still have to beg people to take time off. We wow. still have to manage this because I, I, I think the average person, the reason they end up working so much is because they don't know what to do with themselves if they're not working.
1: Mm, that's very interesting.
0: Yeah, you think about it. I mean, you think about work. This is the place where you know exactly what you need to do. You get rewarded for it. You get mm. positive reinforcement. There's sometimes not the chaos or the mess of personal relationships or trying to take care of yourself, you know, but it's important that you do those other things. And so, you know, to have this time where we can develop as whole people to be, you know, mentally healthy and to be the best version of ourselves, that that's going to take more than work. Work, yes. I mean, I love my work and my company, you know, I'm fully committed to it, but also I'm fully committed to a life outside of that. When I was working at Thomas Nelson, my predecessor, who's gone now, he died a few years ago, but I remember the year or the, de- the day after I was made the CEO of the company, he came into the office and he said to our CFO, he said, Joe, our CFO's name was Joe. He said, Joe, if I'm not the CEO, who am I? Crisis of identity because his work had become his identity. That happens when all you know is work, when your life is not defined in terms of something other than work, when it's not defined in terms of your relationship with God, your relationship with others, your hobbies, your social life, your friends. If you don't have all of that, then it's natural that your identity is going to be wrapped up in your work. And that's not a healthy place to be.
1: No. This is tremendous wisdom. I'm very excited about what you're saying and it's just it's profoundly important as well to get that balance because that's definitely not a sign of the modern era. That that's it's become a very imbalanced day and age that we live in and it's imbalanced in the wrong direction. It is. One of my New Year's resolutions is to work out more and stay more active. In order to maintain a regular workout routine, it's so vital to stretch and take care of your body pre and post-workout. One of my secrets to helping my body recover and feel amazing is my Theragun, an easy-to-use and absolutely amazing handheld percussive therapy device. I use my Theragun before my Orange Theory workout classes to help wake up my muscles and after my workouts to help with muscle recovery and even during the day to help relieve any stress related to sitting or standing too long. I have already noticed a difference since using my Theragun device. Stiffness, knots and soreness are no longer issues. And just for my listeners, Theragun is offering an amazing deal. Visit www.theragun.com forward leaf and you'll get two free attachments with any purchase, the link will also be in the show notes. Michael, what about the five steps that you talk about in the book? You conclude the book with five steps that, to succeed in developing and delivering the vision script. You kind of covered that, haven't you? In what we've been saying, do you want to say a little bit more about those?
0: Yeah, sure. Let me just give these so we have them. First hmm. of all, the best way to create a vision script is number one: schedule it. What gets scheduled gets done.
1: Yep. Okay.
0: Number two get the necessary input. So I don't think creating a vision script is something you can delegate or outsource, but that doesn't mean you can't get input. So you need the necessary input. That might be financial information, you know, taking a good, honest appraisal of where you are today. It might be looking at your organizational chart. It's going to be also asking the key leaders in your organization, you know, what do they see as some of the issues that need to be addressed and where would they like to see the organization go? Number three, trust the process. You know, I know it feels a little bit overwhelming, maybe scary to people in terms of coming up with the vision script, but this is one of the things that we've done. I've done it in the book is have these vision prompts and I've created this online tool called the vision scripter, which I'll tell you more about in just a minute, how people can get a free copy of that, but it'll walk you through the process. So trust the process. Number four, tweak as you go. You know, perfectionism is kind of the mother of procrastination. You don't need a perfect vision script. You need one that's about 85% of the the way there. Launch it, and then you can begin to tweak it as you go. And then number five, go ahead and launch. Roll it out. You'll have plenty of opportunities to revise it as you go.
1: I love that. That's a really great summary of what you've been saying throughout this interview. So tell us about the vision script that tool that you've developed where they can find that online. And you've already described how it works for where they can find it online and so on.
0: Yeah. So here's the deal. If you buy the book before April the 4th, 2020, from any retailer you want, whether it's Amazon or Barnes & Noble or your local retailer, just save the receipt and then go to visiondrivenleader.com forward slash Dr. Caroline. Okay. Forward slash mm-hmm. Dr. And there, you'll get over six hundred dollars in bonuses, including the Vision Driven Leader audiobook that's read by me, the ebook of my previous book, Free to Focus. You'll also get access to a special private Facebook group group where I'm in there coaching Peter people on developing their vision script. And then, in addition to that, this online vision scriptor tool, which will walk you through the process step by step. It's almost like paint by number. Not quite that but almost that. Mm -hmm. So it just takes it one piece at a time. And if you'll just use that tool and follow that process, you'll end up with a draft of a vision script that'll be about 85% of the way done.
1: That's amazing. And that is so generous. And we'll have all those details in the show notes as well, all the links, the details. The book is called The Vision Driven Leader. And as Michael's just said, you can get, you get the book, you take your receipt, and you can get all that incredible extra support. That's amazing. I mean, it's just like, why wouldn't you do it?
0: Exactly. We try to make it super easy for people because you know, I'm on a mission. I want more people to have Good. a vision for their business because I think, like the Bible says, without a vision that people perish, companies perish too. We need a vision, and it's really up to leaders to come up with that.
1: That's so true. And there's so many companies that and startups that are failing. And and I'm wondering, just listening to you this morning, if it's not because of, you know, they're getting the resources before they're getting the vision. So they don't quite know how to use the resources in the correct way or whichever issue. But that vision is absolutely number one priority.
0: It is. That's that's definitely my perspective.
1: And the fact that the vision is, and, and I know we've said this, but I, I believe it bears repeating that the vision is not a statement. The vision is a it's a whole process. It's a document. It's a whole process that you're going through. It's an in-depth, at least, what did you say? Five pages that you should be writing down at least and working on the little elements of three, working on three years. I'm just picking up some of the things that you said that I think are really worth repeating. Michael, is there anything else that you that, that you want to say about? I mean, there's so much, I can think of 20 questions, but is there anything else that you feel that we haven't covered in depth enough in our discussion?
0: No, I don't think so. I, but I would say this. I, I, I think that this is something anybody can do. I've worked now with hundreds and hundreds of clients through this process. Most of them didn't consider themselves writers. Most of them didn't consider themselves visionary, but they trusted the process. They went through it, and they were delighted with the results. Again, it gave them more confidence to have a vision. It gave them the ability to create alignment in their organizations and, and to really execute on the things that were important and forget everything else. So if you want less overwhelm, if you want more focus, if you want an organization that's more productive, and if you really want to drive execution in a way that's meaningful, it's got to start with the vision, and anybody can do it.
1: And that is very good mental health advice that you've just given, because you've described it in terms of an organization, but that can be applied on a personal level immediately. Absolutely. Do you have a vision for your life, talk about it on a personal level, just a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, in my, my book, Living Forward, I talk about this in terms of a life plan and talking about developing a vision for all the major domains of your life, including, you know, your marriage if you're married, or your relationship with your kids, or your social life, and your friendships, and your hobbies, and your finances, and all the rest. But yeah, you know, this 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 book, The Vision Driven Leader, is really focused on the one domain of your vocation, but there's a lot of other domains too. And I, I think you know, where I really learned this to give credit where credit's due is from Dr. Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective. Mm-hmm. Habit number two, begin with the end in mind. And I think that so many of us get busy, get on sort of this journey without a clear destination. And then we wonder why we go down detours and cul-de-sacs and a lot of wasted effort, a lot of wasted resources, unproductive things. And we, you know, if we if we don't design our future, we're going to drift to a future we wouldn't have chosen. So if we don't design a future we want, we're gonna to drift to a future we'd not have chosen. So this really for avoiding a disaster is to design a future. Doesn't mean that it's gonna be a straight line from where you are to there. You're gonna still have trouble, you're gonna still encounter challenges, but when you have clarity about the vision, it makes it a lot easier to kind of stay on that journey and persist through the challenges that would otherwise make you wanna quit.
1: I love that. So if you don't design the future, you're going to just drift into the future. And in that design, I mean, designs get altered all the way through, but at least you have a design that you can alter and you're not drifting all over the place, That's which exactly creates right. that sense of overwhelm, which and the sense of overwhelm makes you feel pressure and it makes you feel anxiety and it makes you feel, you know, do you feel depressed and all those things. And you can actually vision can really help to to bring alignment back again I want to ask you one more one last question that is very relevant and it's something that we get asked a lot in the work that I do and that is that how should an employee talk to a boss or a manager about a mental health struggle so if one of your staff came and spoke to you without being penalized because there's a lot of environments that will actually you know see you as the crazy person we will be all crazy I mean a study just came out of Yale recently that there is no normal brain and that's the work that I do that we can't say that people are, uh, everyone battles and the stigma around mental health is terrible. And just, we've got to like normalize the playing field that we all battle. We all get overwhelmed. We all experience depression. Like you said, we've got to give ourselves permission to play and to stop working and to have that distinction between work and and rest. And the same thing with mental health. It's not something that is only for certain people. Mental health is for everyone.
0: Absolutely. And I think that, that everybody struggles. And I think you know, I, I speak mostly to leaders. So the thing that I would say to them, in terms of creating a safe environment for people to come forward, first of all, be vulnerable with your own challenges. You know, mm-hmm. I've spent years in therapy. You know, it's been one of the best investments I've ever made. I, I attribute, Fantastic. you know, my mental health to that. There's been periods in my life that honestly I could not have gotten through if it hadn't been for a therapist who was able to coach me through that, help me sort of, you know, plummet the depths of my feelings and you know, kind of interpret that. So, I, I, and certainly we have people in our own organization that come forward from time to time that are struggling with some aspect of mental health. And, and I think, as you said, we just try to normalize that. It's not a big deal. We don't stigmatize it. We want to give them the help and the resources they need to get through that. So, yeah, I don't know what I would say to the individual. You know, I think obviously you've got to discern what the environment is and, and how it's going to be perceived. But usually, it seems to me today, there's more awareness around this. Certainly, if you have somebody that's on the HR team, They've been schooled and versed in this and, you know, hopefully have created a safe environment for you to go, to be honest.
1: Mm, that's great. So it's, it's, cre- it's vulnerability as a leader with your own struggles you've been through and then creating an environment that people can feel safe to talk in, that they're not going to be stigmatized, creating that there is a, that there is a, a safety net, a safe space.
0: Yes, and I think part of that is a leader just telling people you're normal. You know, people, somebody says, well, I'm, I'm feeling depressed. Congratulations! You're normal. You exactly. Know, feeling, Welcome
1: to the 21st century. Welcome to being a human.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm feeling uh, extraordinary anxiety. Congratulations! You're normal. You know, there's and, and there's help. That's a great thing about it. There's so much help today, and if we can kind of normalize it and give people the help they need, they, it gives them hope. You know that they're they're not alone. They're not isolated. They can get through this with the right help.
1: I love that. I love that you said that, Michael, because one of the things I tell my listeners, and they've heard me say this so often, is that we need to celebrate when we're feeling depression. Give ourselves permission and celebrate. And that sounds so crazy, but it's what you've said, the congratulations aspect. Because once you acknowledge I'm feeling depressed, you can then start naming why you're feeling depressed, and then you can start tracking the reasons, and then you can start getting a vision of how to start managing that process. So I'm glad you said that. That's great. Congratulations for being human and going through stuff. And and we, we go we go through is is the key thing, but we've got to go through with a vision, as you would say. Once we've got a once we have some sort of vision, then we don't drift. I love that. You've been sure. amazing. This has been so interesting. I have loved talking to you and I, I really would love to talk to you some more and have you back on the show again. And we're gonna put all your information on in, in the show notes, but just very quickly, where can people find out more about you, your work and your books?
0: Yeah, my website, Michael Hyatt dot com h-y-a-t-t everything's there my links to my podcast Everything. my courses my products my coaching program all that's there at michaelhyatt.com
1: and they mustn't forget to get your book and show the receipt and get all those incredible tools that go with that
0: yes i would love for people to do that
1: michael thank you for joining me today you've been a, honestly just given us so many pearls of wisdom
0: thank you so God. much hope great to be with you
1: thank you